right. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mining Matters, a mine safety podcast presented by Fisher Phillips. I'm Chris Peterson, and with me, as always, is my partner, Arthur Wolfson. How are you today, Arthur? Oh, we're doing well, Chris. It's it's getting a little crazy out there in MSHA world, let me tell you. I think some of our listeners would probably agree with me, but it keeps life interesting, doesn't it? Oh, it sure does. Yeah, you can't stop MSHA for being MSHA, right? That's what I've concluded over the no, years. No, they, they can't help themselves. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, this is exciting. This is going to be a good episode because today we're partnering with Kurt Moore, one of our partners in the Charlotte, North Carolina office whose practice focuses on OSHA compliance, and he hosts the Fisher Phillips OSHA podcast. How are you today, Kurt? Doing well, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here with you and Arthur today, and I'm excited that we could do this joint podcast together. I think it's going to be very informative for all of our folks out there who deal with either OSHA or MSHA or some of our employers that deal with both of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this will be an informative podcast for basically any operator or employer you know, looking at any sort of jurisdictional issues or even questions, right? Who has jurisdiction over my over my work site, whether that be mining related or something else. So today, yeah, we're going to discuss what that means, right? What ag- agency has coverage over what facilities? And then what does that regulatory compliance look like? And then provide some key points in terms of the contest process, right? If you do get a citation from one of these agencies, you know, what are your options? You know, what are, what's the basic process and, you know, how that works. So hopefully you know, folks will be able to take away some key aspects of how this whole issue fleshes out. So Arthur, what are you thinking about OSHA coverage? What does OSHA cover and why? Well, you know, it's a good place to start. And actually, Chris, you and I have done an MSHA 101 webinar in the past. And I think when we start that, we always start with OSHA. And why do we start with OSHA when we're doing an MSHA 101 webinar? The reason is, is because OSHA is sort of the baseline for safety and health regulation in the United States. Everybody, every workplace is subject to OSHA jurisdiction unless it is preempted by another agency. And so for the mining industry, that is, of course, MSHA. So that's how the the OSHA Act, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, is written, that Every, everyone is covered by it unless another law, and in the case of, of mining, that's the Federal Mine Safety and Health Act, preempts it, and then MSHA takes the place of OSHA. So that's, the, that's sort of the relationship between MSHA and OSHA. And I will say for those of you in state plan OSHA states, where, where the state has, has um, taken uh, control of, of the of the OSHA uh, initiatives, um, the same thing is true. So if you are in Virginia, which is a state plan OSHA state or Kurt state of North Carolina, which is a, a state plan OSHA state, if you are a mine and we're gonna get to what that is in a bit, then MSHA preempts your state OSHA as well. Same as it would in a federal OSHA state. So, you know, the majority of my practice is MSHA, although I, I, I do do OSHA and have done OSHA in, in my career, but. But Kurt really does more of the OSHA stuff uh, on a day-to-day basis. So, Kurt, we're going to kick it over to you. Why don't you give us sort of a little introduction to OSHA and OSHA enforcement? What's an inspection look like if you're in the OSHA world? Yeah, thanks, Arthur. Um, Be happy to. 
In terms of what an, a typical inspection looks like for OSHA, you know, assume OSHA showed up to your work site. It's going to begin usually with an opening conference um, with that inspector. At that opening conference, the inspector should be presenting their credentials, telling you they're with the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, uh, and, and inform you for the reason for them being on your site. And that could be any number of reasons. It could be a complaint was made by an employee. Perhaps the employer has reported an injury that is required to be reported because of an overnight hospital, an inpatient hospitalization, uh, loss of an eye, an amputation, uh, or unfortunately a fatality. Um, or uh, perhaps you are falling on one of the national emphasis programs and programmed inspection lists that allows OSHA to come out uh, because you've been randomly selected. So those are any of number of reasons why OSHA may show up. They should disclose that to you uh, as an employer during the opening conference. Uh, after the opening conference, and I can talk a little bit about what that looks like in a minute, but then there'll be the walk around where they actually go out into the facility to look at the area where either an accident's occurred or a complaint was made um, and move to interviews of hourly and management employees. Uh, and then inevitably it'll move to a closing conference where OSHA tells you that they are completing uh, their investigation and that they will be issuing citations if they will be. Um, and then, of course, thereafter the issuance of citations. So wanted to hit on uh, really quickly a few rights uh, during inspections that employers certainly have with OSHA, at least. And that's you have the right to have management present um, during the inspection and during enforcement activity on your work site. Uh, it is the employer's work site and employers do have uh, Fourth Amendment rights. So you could require OSHA to go get a warrant to inspect your work site. Um, that's typically not the best route to go and not the one that we often counsel people to do. Um, but you also kind of hand in hand with that have the right to ascertain the reason why OSHA is on your site and then limit the scope of inspection as may be appropriate. So, for example, if they're there because of a complaint uh, and the complaint relates to, say, fall protection, you're not going to let OSHA or at least you could limit the scope to not permit OSHA to look at things that do not pertain to fall protection or working at heights. So, you know, if they ask for your powered industrial truck program, forklifts, et cetera, you could say, no, that's outside the scope of this inspection. We do not consent to that, at least if it's a complaint-based inspection. Um, and I'll stop there because I know there's some other rights we need to discuss, but I, I think there's some significant, significant differences in the things I've just discussed from the Mine Act. So I don't know if you and Chris want to chime in and talk about how OSHA is different in the respect of those rights that an employer has versus what they have under the Mine Act and under MSHA. Well, certainly I can chime in here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, I, I think when I'm thinking in terms of, you know, OSHA jurisdiction or MSHA jurisdiction, you know, who is regulating what, um, you know, I take a look at, you know, obviously the nature of the operation, right? So, you know, mining is, you um, basically the extraction of minerals, right? Either surface or underground from the earth's crust, right? So I think that typically is what activates um, MSHA jurisdiction, right? Over a facility where it gets a little more complex um, in my mind is when you have um, the facilities or other operations supporting those mining activities, right? So that's always, you know, kind of the, the, the starting point of, you know, determining MSHA coverage, and then, okay, you know, as Kurt mentioned, what does that look like? Um, so MSHA regulates 
and, and I think a key difference, right, these mines through programmed inspection activity. I think, I think it's fair to say both agencies have, you know, similar process in terms of handling complaints, hazard complaints, uh, whistleblower investigations, you know, those types of things. But OSHA is much more rigid, right, in terms of their inspection activity because of these program inspections. So, you know, as, as Arthur mentioned earlier on our MSHA 101, uh, we should do a podcast on that as I'm thinking about it, <laughs> Arthur. But, um, you know, that MSHA 101, right, when we start talking about, you know, those programmed inspections, if you're a surface mine, you can inspect, you can expect to what they call regular inspections, right, these EO1 regular inspections. Uh, so one every six months, right, so twice a year. And then underground, you have quarterly inspection activity, right, and um, so, you know, I think that sort of kicks off the difference in the two agencies, right? Because of, you know, these programmed inspections, the Mine Act is also what they call a strict liability statute. Um, you know, you, I think at that point, right, the departure is, is pretty significant, Kurt, um, between the Mine Act enforcement and the OSHA Act enforcement. And certainly, you know, what options an employer has versus what options a mine operator has, right? In terms of, um, you know, dealing with those inspections, um, you know, what rights an operator has, I think are, um, you know, maybe not more limited than under the OSHAC, but certainly um, uh, maybe a little, little more rigid, less forgiving, right? In terms mm -hmm. of, you know, defenses, those kinds of issues. Um, you know, but in, in terms of overall compliance, I think, Kurt, you raise a good point, right, where, um, you know, you have mine operators and, you know, you have to comply with the regulations and the requirements under the mandatory safety standards. And so I think that, um, you know, is probably a similar process from what's under the OSHAC. Um, now, your rights during those inspections are, 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 are probably different, right, in my mind. I mean, you know, under the Mine Act, you do have uh, the guaranteed right to accompany inspectors. Um, you have the right to involve miners reps, right? Or maybe, depending on your perspective, the requirement to involve miners representatives. Um, now, Kurt, do you have similar requirements to that under the OSHA Act in terms of uh, inspections and your rights during inspection activity under the OSHA Act? Yeah, so yeah, as I mentioned, you have the right to have management personnel present and accompany the the uh, COSHO uh, compliance safety and health officer. Mm. Um, and again, like to your point, if a union is involved with the employer, they have the right or the employer has the right, depending on which way you look at it, to have their representation present. So a union steward, not only during the walk around and that phase of the inspection, but you know, if hourly workers within the union are interviewed that uh, representative from the union has a right to be present during those interviews. Um, so I think that it's similar in that respect, but I think what I'm hearing from, from you guys and, and Arthur, feel free to chime in as well. Once you have those programmed inspections under the Mine Act, whether it be you know two per year or four per year, depending on whether you're above ground or underground, you don't have the same ability necessarily, or at least not to the extent that employers do, to kind of rein in the scope of the inspection in the sense that they're more comprehensive, right, under the Mine Act than, say, an inspection in OSHA because of a complaint or because of a, a reported injury. That's, that's right, Kurt. And I, I think that sound you heard 
was our mining clients um, probably going through the roof when you said you can limit the scope of an inspection under OSHA? Because <laughs> you certainly cannot do that with an MSHA inspection. First of all, the legal basis for that is you mentioned the Fourth Amendment um, and, and, you know, that, that you could require OSHA to have to get a warrant and obviously, um, or you could consent, which is a, an exception to the warrant requirement. In MSHA, there, there was a case early on in the, in the Mine Act, um, Donovan versus Dewey, where it went up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, same is not true under MSHA. The Mine Act, under the Mine Act, uh, MSHA enjoys what are called warrantless inspections. And the legal theory behind that is because mining is a pervasively regulated industry that if you're a mine operator, you no longer have that expectation of privacy that, say, a warehouse or a grocery store or a dentist's office might have from a government inspector. You know the MSHA inspector is coming because of these regular inspections like Chris decided. So you don't have that same right um, in, a, in a mine to uh, require a warrant or consent to what you allow to be inspected. So that is a, a huge difference. And, you know, I think our mining clients know that when an MSHA inspector shows up, they, that inspector is going to dictate where they're going to go. And, you know, even if it's a burned off area that you may not allow your employees to go and may not even consider it to be a safe place to go, if the inspector wants to go there, they have the legal right to do that. So that, that's, a, that's a very key difference and frankly goes a long way in planning for an inspection if it's MSHA or OSHA. Yeah, I would just piggyback on that, Arthur. I mean, I think you raise a really good point and that um, I guess you could call it a lack of expectation of privacy, right, at the mines because they are so heavily regulated. Uh, extends to the hourly miner, which I always thought was interesting, right? There's a line of cases that discusses, um, you know, not only just document production by a mine, but then providing miners personal contact information, right? And so MSHA will come on site and ask for this, this stuff, you know, phone numbers, home addresses, emails, those kinds of things. Medical records, Chris. Medical, oh my, yeah. Like, <laughs> let's go down that rabbit hole, right? Yeah. yeah. Medical records. Um, but now you're to your point, yes. Yeah. So, you know, we can't withhold that, right? You know, under the Mine Act. And, you know, just the other day, I got a question from a first responder. Um, you know, MSHA was asking for, you know, basically his report on what he did for, you know, his response to a particular incident. And, um, you know, he was just, you know, he had gone through HIPAA training, you know, privacy records, you know, those, those kinds of things. And uh, was just, he could not wrap his head around the fact that, you know, here's an MSHA inspector asking for this information and he has to give it to him, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that lack of expectation, you know, uh, of, of privacy it, it extends to the hourly minor, right? True. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kurt, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about, you? we've talked a little bit about the basics and, and what an inspection looks like. And you know, if a, if a citation is issued against a, a company that's OSHA regulated, what are, their, what are their options? What are their rights? If they disagree with it and they want to have their say in the matter, what, what can we, what do they have the right to do? 
Yeah, that that employer has the right to contest those citations. Uh, but before contesting them, uh, you have 15 working days in Fed OSHA to either decide to contest citations or else if you don't contest them within the 15 days, uh, they become a final order of the agency. And, and then you, you're stuck with those citations and the penalties that have been proposed by OSHA under them. Uh, that that 15 working days is for federal OSHA. State plans vary. You know, they can either track the 15 days or they may enlarge or restrict that from there. Um, so if you're in a state plan state, the listener just needs to be aware that, you know, you need to look at your specific state plan to know the deadline for contest. Um, in terms of uh, informal conferences, you can request that within that period of 15 working days in Fed OSHA. Um, and at an informal conference, you can discuss with OSHA your position, why you believe that certain citation items should be reduced or uh, deleted or withdrawn. Um, sometimes that works, sometimes it does not. It often depends on, um, you know, the strength of your defenses and frankly, you know, who you're dealing with in terms of the assistant area director or area director and whether they think they can make their case. If you choose to, to contest uh, within that 15-day period, you simply file a notice of contest with uh, OSHA and let them know that you are contesting the citation and penalties. Uh, and then that will start the process where you go before an administrative law judge uh, assigned to the case who will hear the merits of the case and determine whether the citations and penalties are appropriate. Uh, once you're in that contest period, it functionally works like civil litigation. You know, you have written discovery, uh, you know, requests for production, requests for interrogatories, requests for admissions, at least under the federal scheme. Uh, and then you can have depositions by agreement or show of need functionally in almost most in almost every OSHA case I've been involved with. Uh, there's no dispute about having depositions with the, the solicitor of labor uh, or, or the secretary of labor and their solicitor um, that they will consent to do discovery depositions because they wanna do them as well. Um, and then when you move to the hearing, the hearing will be set um, and it'll be before the administrative law judge that I had mentioned. And that hearing functionally is like a small civil trial where you present witnesses and evidence uh, in your case. And I say small, that's oftentimes it's small. There's some cases where there are many, many citations up to 25 to 30 that we've dealt with and they go on for several weeks. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the process from the citations to uh, going through the trial portion. And of course, we can talk in a little bit about, um, you know, your options for appeal if you if you disagree with the administrative law judge's decision. But wanted to kick it back to you guys to discuss whether that's the same or similar for MSHA uh, and what, what process y'all uh, help clients navigate. Well, I'll quickly point out, I think everybody wants to know the differences in available defenses <laughs> between... OSHA and MSHA, right? So yeah, the MSHA legal process is probably similar, right? I think it's fair to characterize it as similar, but you know, obviously the key difference is the strict liability nature of, of the Mine Act. Um, and so, you know, you can dispute the fact of a violation, certainly, right? You know, built into this Mine Act uh, statutory scheme is a lot of, um, and similar to OSHA, you know, there's OSHA compliance officers, right? But a lot of discretion on a part of an MSHA inspector, um, you know, the relevant portion of the Mine Act allows an inspector to issue a citation or, you know, an enforcement action of some kind whenever he or she believes that there is a violation of the cited standard, right? Um, 
so that in and of itself, right, creates a lot of, you know, interpretation, a lot of gray area, which typically is, you know, the foundation for kicking off, you know, a legal process. Um, you do have the ability to conference citations. Uh, you have 10 days from the date of issuance uh, of a citation to conference that. And so that's basically um, filing a request with the district manager and the district that uh, you're in. Um, and requesting a conference, providing some uh, justification for that, right? So I don't agree with, you know, again, like either the fact of the violation or some designation on that, uh, on that citation form, whether that's the significant substantial analysis, you know, some sort of gravity level or uh, negligence, you know, or persons affected or standard cited, you know, whatever it might be, right? Um, so you have that conferencing process. Beyond that, you do have a contest process, right? So within 30 days of issuance, you can file what's called a pre-penalty notice of contest, um, where you are contesting basically the basis of the citation, um, but not the associated penalty yet, right? That's called the penalty uh, contest. So you have two, you know, two different options in terms of contesting. Um, even if you do file that pre-penalty notice of contest and the penalty is assessed, you must, if you want to, you know, keep that citation in contest or that enforcement action in contest, then you also file that, that penalty contest, right? Um, but the pre-penalty notice of contest is optional, right? You can still just contest the penalty, right? And the underlying citation. Um, so you can get to it that way. And then, you know, very similar to what you've described uh, Kurt, you know, it kind of kicks off that that formal litigation process that everybody's familiar with, where you're dealing with, um, you know, a government attorney on the other side, or you know, a conference litigation representative, whatever it might be, um, but can include depositions, discovery, you know, those kinds of things, um, and then that kicks into you know a, a potential hearing, right? If you're if you go that far in, in front of an administrative law judge, and then they do have an appeal process. Arthur, you um, are probably the appeals guru here uh, in terms of the MSHA appeals. What does that appeal process look like? Well, the appeal process, um, I don't know. Am I the guru because I've lost so many cases? I have to <laughs> appeal them all. Um, right. the, 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 the appeal process, there's a first level appeal um, within the administrative system called the Federal Mine Safety and Health Review Commission. So you go before the, uh, the commissioners, um, you have to file what's called a petition for discretionary review, and then the commissioners decide if they're even going to hear your case. Mm. Now, most of those petitions do get granted, which I think is a difference between MSHA and, and the, um, the, the OSHA Review Commission, the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission, where it seems like they don't actually grant a lot of them. But most of the petitions in, in the Mine Safety and Health Review Commission do get granted. And then uh, the commission will decide your case. There may be an oral argument before uh, the commissioners. And then you can, uh, the, whoever is adversely affected by that decision, whether it's the company or the, the government, can then take a further appeal to a federal circuit court of appeals. And that could be either the DC circuit or the circuit where the company is geographically located. So if you're in Illinois, it's gonna be the seventh circuit. If you're in Pennsylvania, it'll be the third circuit. Whatever that geographical circuit is or the DC circuit is the choice of the, whoever is appealing. So Kurt, does that sort of jive with how uh, the appeal rights work in the OSHA context as well? 
Yes. Uh, functionally and procedurally, OSHA operates in a very similar fashion where you have to exhaust your administrative appeal to the full commission. Um, and then if they either choose to hear it and, and you're still not satisfied with the result or they choose not to hear it, um, then you have the option to appeal into a federal circuit court. Like you said, the D.C. circuit is an option, as is where the company is headquartered. Um, but then if, if you also have the option, if it's a um, complaint based or an injury based uh, report, uh, res that resulted in the inspection to have it heard in the circuit where that accident or complaint occurred. Um, so sometimes you could have three different circuit courts that you potentially could appeal to. Hey, Kurt, there's one other thing I think I want to bring up in the uh, context of contests and just, just kind of going back to what you can contest. In the OSHA world, and this is going to be a surprise for our mining folks, you don't have to abate the citation once you've contested it, correct? Yeah, so once you contest a citation, it's held in abeyance for abatement purposes, although functionally I never advise an employer to continue to allow a condition that we think, even if we disagree with the, the form of the citation or that a, st a standard was violated, if we can make the workplace safer, I always advise to do that. Um, right. But yes, you're correct from a legal standpoint that it, it holds that process in abeyance until the, the contest is resolved in some form or fashion. So that's a key difference with MSHA is you are required to abate it even if you were going to contest it. And, you know, and I certainly I certainly agree, Kurt, that, you know, the normal course of things, if there's a violation and, and there's a, of the standard, we want to get that abated regardless because we want to get the if there's a safety concern, correct. But we do have those instances where the abatement that the agency is requiring is either infeasible or op operationally, it's just not the right choice. There's maybe a better way. Under MSHA, you're still required to do what the government says unless you frankly refuse and take an order, a closure order, and then then that could be contested. But that's a, a, a very extreme legal measure. So just wanted to point that out, I think, as a, a key difference between the two agencies also. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And I wanted to circle back, you know, and, and while we're talking about differences in the agencies about defenses and burdens mm -hmm. of proof and things yeah. of that nature, you know, as as you and Chris have hit on extensively, uh, you know, MSHA is a strict liability standard uh, and scheme. Uh, OSHA is not the same in the sense that uh, as part of its case, if if they cite that a standard was violated, OSHA has the burden of proof to show at least as one of the elements of its case that there was employer knowledge, whether that be actual knowledge or constructive knowledge, meaning, you know, did the employer do enough due diligence that they reasonably knew or should have known that standards were being violated or unsafe practices or hazards were occurring in their workplace. Um, so if you can, you know, you may have a situation where a standard was technically violated, but an employer can, uh, can defend that by saying, look, we lacked employer knowledge. Um, same thing with employee misconduct and rogue supervisor. While those are affirmative defenses, they are available to the employer. So you may have a situation where an employee just completely ignored his training uh, or a supervisor, same thing. And you can try to raise those as defenses. I will say, uh, and I know we don't have time to get into all of this today, the rogue supervisor defense is somewhat limited, though some circuits recognize it and some do not, and mm -hmm. some place limitations upon it. Some automatically impute 
uh, a supervisor's misconduct or knowledge to the company in all circumstances, regardless of whether he was appropriately trained and had never exhibited this type of misconduct before. Well, here's a twist then, right? We're talking about, you know, OSHA versus MSHA and key differences, but what happens if you have both OSHA and MSHA covered entities? Um, what does an operator or employer do in that case, Arthur? What do you think? Well, I, you know, I think the first thing you do is you need to be knowledgeable. Um, you know, you really need to know the law on, on both fronts. Um, and that might sound simplistic, but it's, it's not because mm. there are these nuances that we're describing these, such as the defenses Kurt just talked about. And we, we could do a whole podcast on right. defenses really for each agency, but um, you know, what does that mean? And we look at the, look at the, the rights uh, during an inspection. Um, you know, what do you have the right to do? So I think it starts with being knowledgeable. It also is, you know, planning for those inspections. You know, if you're an MSHA regulated site, you know they're coming. If you're an OSHA regulated site, you don't know when they're coming, but when they come, you better be ready. So it's sort of a, it's a different type of a planning, right? Because MSHA, you know what's going to happen and you know what to expect when it happens. With OSHA, you don't know if it's going to happen or what it might look like when it happens. So I think both the knowledge piece and the planning piece, um, and really when you when you may see um, the two agencies, if you are say a contractor, um, if you're a contractor that does work at both MSHA sites and OSHA sites, you need to be prepared. All right, today we're at an MSHA regulated site. What might we see versus when we're at an OSHA regulated site? So that that would be my starting point. I, I'm yeah. sure you guys have some some tips along those lines as well. So I think, I think you raised two good points um, that I'll emphasize. One is the contractor issue. Um, for a contractor, if you're working on, so say you're a construction company, right? And then you have, you know, what we would call your stereotypical construction site, but then you also perform construction on a mine site. Um, I think training, right? Training is the number one issue that I see come up. Uh, where you need, under the Mine Act, you need mine-specific training. But frankly, under the OSHA Act, you need OSHA-specific training, right? Um, and so keeping that straight, right, to your point in terms of planning, you know, I think, I think some companies tend to underestimate the compliance burden, right, between the two. But I think that is, that is really the key. And, and frankly, having someone within the company, whatever company you have, right, to lead point on you know, whatever that might be, right? OSHA compliance versus MSHA compliance and communication with the respective agencies. And then, to, you know, again, to your point, Arthur, right? Of training those individuals on what rights do you have? Uh, not only during the inspection process, but even after, right? The abatement process, right? Being, being I think, key. Kurt, what are your thoughts? What are, what are the biggest issues that you see on, on some of these you know, OSHA and the MSHA covered entities? No, I agree 100%. I think, I think being prepared and knowing the, the differences and distinctions that we've discussed, which is no small task, is critical because, you know, let's say you're a contractor like you've been using that is always familiar with, with mine sites because that's what they do. Say so they service the mine industry heavily. 
but they go out to an OSHA site and, and they're subject to OSHA regulations and let's say they get cited, they may assume that they, they only have the rights that they have under the Mine Act or that they're exactly the same or vice versa. Um, and I think, you know, having that knowledge is power because you may be able to substantially limit the area that OSHA sees up front and you may have additional defenses or different defenses uh, if you are to go into contest and, and know that you don't have to put abatement into place immediately if you do contest. Yeah. So I think I think that knowledge components power, I think regardless of the scheme that you're under, what this hammers home is that you should have some sort of an idea, and I would encourage it to be in writing, about a response plan for both agencies mm -hmm. so that you know who is going to be involved, who has the knowledge base to assist you, and, and what your rights and steps are in, in navigating the process with that particular agency. Yeah. Good stuff. So I, I, I guess the takeaway is there, there's some similarities, there's some differences, and but it's those differences, right? The devil's in the details, I think. And um, if you're a site or a company that's faced with both agencies, it's really those little differences that can make all the difference for you um, going forward. Because, you know, at the end of the day, the biggest, the biggest similarity is whether you're MSHA or you're OSHA, everybody just wants to comply. Right. Everybody wants to comply. Everybody wants to be safe. Everybody wants their businesses to function. I don't think anybody disagrees with that. Well, I think we've had a, a, a robust discussion here. I think maybe we should uh, maybe we should do this again sometime. What do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you when you start thinking about like the real differences, right? Just in the compliance. Yeah, that that would be a a podcast in and of itself. But <laughs> I think this is a good overview of some key issues that that's good to get out there yeah i appreciate you guys doing this and doing a joint podcast i think it's helpful especially for those entities and contractors and folks who have to fall under both realms so to speak so i'd be happy to do this again sometime maybe we can come up with another topic that would be uh, useful to everybody involved and all of our listeners sounds good well we thank everyone for listening as always um Appreciate the feedback we receive on, on the podcasts. And as Chris and I always say, and I'm sure Kurt would echo, if there's ever a topic anyone would like us to address, just drop us a line and let us know. Until next time, we'll sign off of both Toolbox Talk and Mining Matters. Have a good day and be safe. All right. Stay safe, everyone. This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation.